What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. King's Island is now open weekends. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, and happy Monday. The China spy balloon was shot down over the weekend, finally. Was everybody in your circle talking about this? I mean, everybody I know was talking about. We, I went to my daughter Yardley's soccer game on Saturday. All the parents are sitting there on the sidelines, and it was all we were talking about. People were showing pictures of, you know, what looked like it being shot down in Billings. Remember, there was that one report and then we got the report late about uh, in the Atlantic Ocean. It's just I don't know what it is about this story, but everybody's interested in it. It's it brings up a lot, right? Like, how did they do this? The Chinese are getting bolder. We're getting more feckless. <laughs> it, it touches a lot of buttons. Uh, President Biden allowed his Department of Defense to wait days to shoot it down. In fact, we're told they overruled him. He's the commander in chief. He issued a direct order, according to him. And they said, Grandpa, take a seat. That's what he's now saying. That's my editorial in there, too. But he's basically saying they said not till it's over the ocean. Uh, so he's blaming them. And they're kind of saying, well, we, we did what was responsible. Then his administration tried to blame it on Trump, saying Trump did it, too. They wanted to deflect and say Trump did it, too. Uh, and we'll tell you the latest on what Team Trump is saying on that and what our own investigation has shown. Plus, in the news today, the Grammys pushes Satan and BDSM on American children. Well, that's fun. Joining me now, veteran Navy SEAL and one of the most highly decorated combat veterans of our time, Robert O'Neill. Robert's also the host of the podcast, The Operator. Rob, great to have you back on the show. How are you? I'm great, Megan. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for having me, too. It's always a pleasure to get on here because uh, I think we're going to solve a lot of problems and bring up a bunch of other stuff that people aren't aware of. Yes, good. It's always a pleasure for me. You're one of my very, very favorite guests. So and what great timing for us in the wake of all this balloon stuff. So just to set the table, uh, the New York Times reporting per Pentagon officials, the spy balloon was remotely maneuverable to some degree by the Chinese and that it was first spotted in the United States last Saturday, January 28th. Right. That's January 28th. So like not this past mm -hmm. Saturday, but the Saturday before that, then and somebody in team Biden was briefed on it. And then the president was personally alerted on Tuesday uh, when it was in northern Idaho and asked for military options, according to The New York Times. And then he was told, uh, I guess he he claims now that he said, let's shoot it down. But that General Milley and Secretary Austin advised against that. While it was over land, thus they waited until Saturday when it was over the Atlantic 
to shoot it down. First of all, what do you make of that alleged chain of events? Well, I'm sure they spotted it over the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. And I don't think this is the first time that China's ever done this with the balloons. I'm sure we've seen it before. And a lot of times there's no there's really no need to tell the public a lot. I mean, if it's if it's out over the, uh, you know, the the, the Pacific, um, just because if there's nothing you can do about it, there's no need to, to freak people out. But it wasn't really until it got over Montana that I think some private pilots spotted it and they reported it and it went up to NORAD. And eventually people had it. But my father took a picture of it from his hot tub. And my brother, who's a, who's a, got his own <laughs> morning show in Butte, in Butte, Montana, said, hey, uh, he helps me with some of my podcast ideas and gives some links. He says, hey, there's this weird balloon over Montana. Here's the link in case you don't hear about it. I was like, oh, <laughs> we're going to hear about it. We're definitely going to hear about it. It's just a matter of when. And then, it, uh, um, you know, they could have done something about it there. Shooting it down is it, it is provocative, but so is flying in our airspace. You remember what they did with our P-3 Orion a few years back when they brought it down with uh, fighter jet escorts and reverse engineer it like they do. I mean, I don't know why they need to do that when they can just send their spies that are at NYU to steal our, all their, all of our stuff like they do anyway. But for exactly. the president- Call, call to, Hunter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for the president to say, yeah, I wanted to shoot it down, but then they told me I couldn't. He kind of said the, the quiet part out loud that he's admitting he's not in charge. The Pentagon does not overrule the commander in chief. I'm not sure if everyone knows how the chain of command works, but if he says, shoot it down, shoot it down. And that's how it works. Mil uh, General Milley doesn't have a say and they, they, he can be an advisor, which he is. But uh, yeah, they said no. And he agreed because he just does what he's told. Plus, don't you, uh, Rob, I mean, I admittedly know nothing about this, but there's a lot of open prairie in America. There's a lot of open space in Montana in particular. They're like, oh, well, you know, it wasn't safe to shoot it down when, you know, there are people on the ground. Like as if every square inch of the United States is populated in the way that Manhattan is. Yeah, I, I, it's just something they're going to say. It's one of those things where it's easy to stare at your phone and yell because you think, it, you know, something is what it is. Like the ocean's a lot bigger than people think. Montana's a lot bigger than you think. And we should have at least a little bit of the geometry to realize where and when you can shoot it down. It actually reminded me of a story. When we went to rescue Captain Phillips, we had to jump out of a C-17 over the Indian Ocean. And we had these big garbage bags. We won't get into what was in them. But I asked them before I jumped. I asked the the uh, air crew, hey, are you going to throw these out into the Indian Ocean? He goes, no, we're just going to land with them. I'm like, dude, just throw them out. And he said, what if we hit one of your boats? And I said, I'll give you $10,000 if you can. You're not going to hit anybody. It's not, the, the, it's not, the, the odds aren't with you. So they should have shot it down over Montana or before that. But, I mean, they had to once the people see it and they, the president realized we see it. And they can't lie their way out of this one. So we just well, monitored. The, the funniest one was the meme when it flew over Missouri and someone put a meme of some dude having a barbecue, throwing a beer bottle at it, saying this is how we handle it in Missouri. <laughs> but that's you just touched on it, right? Because they didn't they did not make it public. They didn't make it public when it was in Alaska. The only reason it became public is because the locals in Montana started making a, a bit about it, you know, a, a, a buzz about it. And then the local NBC reported it. And then it grew into a national story. And all the while, the Biden administration, understanding full well this was happening, was planning on still sending Secretary of State Blinken over there to meet with Xi Jinping. They, they were the meeting was 100 percent still on. And it mm. wasn't until it started really blowing up nationally that they were like, oh, OK, oh, we canceled the meeting. I mean, this is outrageous. Bull, you didn't think it was outrageous. You just bent the knee because we made you bend the knee. Yeah, you just got caught. They you, they should have shot it down and sent Secretary Blinken that day. Go over yes. there and meet with him. You got it down. You can't, you know, that what? But like it or not, the world is a, a much safer place when America is strong. And we are very, very weak right now. And we're showing it to them. We're, we're, uh, China's running. They're, they're running. The, they're the puppeteer. We're just at the end of the strings dancing with, a, uh, with um, whoever's at the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. I know. Well, that's the problem is that 
just your schoolyard bully history, you know, not yours in particular. I'm saying one's one's memories of those moments tell you when the bully starts to be provocative, you really just have to punch him in the face. There's no that's dancing how, that, around that, that's it. That's how it ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. that that's what they're doing. And we're kind of like hiding behind the one apparatus on the playground. Like, hopefully he won't see us and he'll just take that fist away. Hopefully he won't bother us again. Maybe we're super nice, but I'm not going to have lunch with you. I'm not going to sit with you with you at the lunch table. Maybe that'll stop you. We, we don't we don't have the resolve to do that. And I'm not sure we're really even in the position right now to do that, given everything that's happening in Russia and so on. What do you think? Well, I mean, well, you know, I, I heard jokes saying if we just raise the uh, the Ukrainian flag over Montana, maybe then they defend our borders. But it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's I mean, it is that thing with the bully, too. And China's just they're going to keep pushing and pushing. And with Xi Jinping, he's in a spot where he's he's the most brutal dictator China's ever seen. And that's saying a lot. And that means that no one around him will ever tell him anything resembling the truth. So uh, they're just, you know, they're going to push us as far as they can. And the bully never goes away just because you ask him nicely. Or like you said, you don't just change seats or whatever. China's running the show right now. What I mean, the good thing is we're, we're like there's the bully at school, but there's also the big dumb good guy that doesn't know how tough he is until he has to fight. And that's us. I mean, there, there are people in this military, in the Pentagon, in D.C., um, you know, in every branch that knows how to fight in Space Force that, you know, they had their big opportunity here and kind of blew that one. But, uh, you know, if and when we need to, they're always saying how China has more ships than we do in, in the Navy. Fine. They have a bigger Navy. But if it comes down to it, which I hope it doesn't, um, they'll find out the hard way. It won't be that that's not going to be a fun war. And I'm not advocating for it. But certainly uh, I'd rather a deterrent than have to fight. And right now we're not deterring anything. Everyone's realized they can just roll us over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it reminds me of my uh, my college boyfriend who was captain of the lacrosse team at uh, Syracuse and they won three national championships and he knew a thing or two about competition. And he used to say and he was from Yorktown Heights, uh, New York, which is, you know, actually kind of where AOC is from. Uh, in any event, he used to say, you don't have to fight. You just have to make the other guy believe you want to fight, that you would fight, that's all, that you're ready. That's, to. All it that's it. That's what they, I never that's saw what they him throw it. a punch, but he but he he was he certainly projected. I will if you make me. If, if you if you project strength, you, people will think you're strong. That's why they call it a dog fight. The dog barks loud because you don't want to fight him. I mean, once you know, once the dog gets in a fight, then it's kind of over. But the, the bark, they always say the bark is worse than its bite. And so, uh, sometimes that's enough. And that's I mean, that's one of our, our uh, one of our pillars of national defense is is other than alliance solidarity and forward defense. It's, it's deterrence. And we're good at that. We just right now we're just we're showing that we'd, we'd rather be politically correct and, and uh, inclusive with equity than than. Uh, then show strength, then 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 uh, promote by performance in, instead of um, feelings. I mean, what is- I heard yet the other day that uh, feelings are um, the truth doesn't change no matter how loud you yell at it. So you might as well tell the truth. Mm-hmm. That's good. You know the, um, the thing about this balloon is people are like ah you can't it can't tell anything more than our satellites can tell, and I, I don't know that that's true. Um, Canadian Debbie, my crack producer, has given me a couple of stats via the AP, um, quoting U.S. retired Army General John Ferrari, visiting fellow now at American Enterprise Institute, says, even if the balloon was not armed, it posed a risk. The flight itself could be used to test America's ability to detect incoming threats and to find holes in our air defense warning system. It may have allowed as well the Chinese to sense electromagnetic emissions that higher altitude satellites cannot detect, such as low power radio frequencies that could help, help them understand how different U.S. weapons systems communicate. Washington Post uh, quotes another expert who advises the U.N. Security Council saying um, these balloons have a few advantages over the use of satellites or drones. They can obtain better quality images 
They could even deploy their own drone systems. They can detect incoming missiles. And their slow speed means they're not always picked up by radar. Uh, like this, this needed to be dealt with and seriously. And so far, we just seem to be getting like, uh, yeah, it's kind of like, what information could they have gotten? And we got rid of it and move on. Nothing to see here. Well, they're trying to talk you out of talk us out of it because they're they're I mean, even with saying so far as well, some flew over when Trump was here. They're trying to justify bad behavior with bad behavior. And that's not the case. The the thing this balloon has going for it, like I said, it's it's moving slower, so it's harder with radar. It's also in, in closer in the atmosphere, and it can it can take better pictures, it can it can get still. And, and um it it's what it's looking at is our response. How do we react to each other? And most importantly, how do we communicate that with each other? Because the first thing China will do if and when we go to war with them, is knock out our communication. We are talking about space warfare. And if you can imagine, uh, even right now, th there are people that can't go anywhere in the country without their, their GPS, without their global positioning system on their phone, I their navigation. Imagine that gets knocked out. Can you use a map and compass? Do you know which direction the sun sets? Can you use the stars? What if you do if you can't talk to someone? How do you communicate? That's the first thing they're going to do. They knock out our communications, which when they talk about um, classified SEI, stuff like that, the classified stuff is not the stuff we did on the ground in bin Laden's house. The classified stuff is how we talk to each other, how certain satellites were talking to different people, how the weapon systems communicate with each other. We use GPS for our, our missile systems. We use them for everything on the ground, in the air, air to ground, ground to air, air to air. If we lose that, we can't communicate. That's what China's looking for. How's our response? How do we respond? How do we treat each other afterwards? So, I mean, this is a, this is a simple, uh, this could be a reconnaissance balloon under the guise of a weather balloon. It doesn't they're they're not going to drop a weapon from this, which they could everything from drones to chemical to biological to uh, what, whatever version of covid we're on. Uh, that, that's what it could be. This is just reconnaissance. And they did it in a way that they they knew that we knew it was coming. It was a question of when did we tell our people? When did we tell our Department of Defense and our air systems? You know, and we, we proved that we're good enough with our new F-22 Raptors to shoot down a balloon. How would that be the, the, in the history of air to air combat? Your first air to air kill as the highest. Uh, uh, um, the, the most advanced fighter in the world, this first kill is a balloon. <laughs> well, you you had a great tweet over the weekend, which was tell the Pentagon the balloon is unvaxxed. They'll get rid of it in no time. <laughs> that was, you know, that was just a land around the couch thinking, well, that's kind of funny. Maybe I'll see how the, what the world thinks of that. <laughs> <laughs> the world approved. I speak on behalf of the world here. Oh, I appreciate um, that. Thank you. <laughs> the, the Trump administration stuff is interesting, too. I mean, it's so absurd to be like, oh, well, Trump did it. Like, could you just focus because Trump's no longer that's president it. and you, you got the top job. And if you could just reassure us that you're on top of it, it would make us feel better. But instead, we're getting Trump, 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 Trump. And this is what we've found thus far. So. Trump's top advisors during his presidency have all backed him up, saying, no, there was no Chinese balloon during our time in office. Just a couple of names. John Bolton, who can't really stand Trump, says, I don't know of any. And he had been his national security advisor. Robert O'Brien had been national security advisor as well, unequivocally. I've never been briefed on this issue by anybody. Former acting DNI Rick Grinnell, if a balloon, if a balloon had come up, we would have known. Someone in the intel community would have known. And it would have come up to me to brief the president. Former DNA John Ratcliffe comes out and says, um, it is not true. I can refute this. It didn't happen. But um, Wall Street Journal reporting that there was one, maybe more than one, but it went undetected during the uh, Trump administration that the previous balloon flights were much shorter in duration, possibly explaining why some went undetected, according to, I think, current senior administration officials. And what they say, Rob, is that the information was discovered after the prior administration left. 
So what they're asking us to believe is that it happened, that literally nobody in the Trump administration knew, not the top intel people, not the top defense people, not the president, but that Joe Biden came into town and he figured it out and knew that this was a pattern beginning during the Trump administration. And I guess still wasn't concerned when balloon number what? 70. I don't what number are we on now? Joe Biden came over Butte, Montana. Yeah, it's well, you, you got to figure that uh, a lot of people in the Trump administration, they're, they're going to, for some reason, t- try to tell the truth. And like you said, John Bolton hates Donald Trump. Uh, but he did say if I if it happened, I would have known about it. But these are they're dealing with people on the other side that are going to lie about pretty much everything. You got to figure if China didn't admit this was their balloon. The Democrats would have said, oh, this is definitely Russian interference. This is a Russian balloon. And Donald Trump guided it there. And that's not Hunter's laptop. And, and uh, you know, uh, Adam Schiff should be on the intel committee. And because he didn't do anything wrong. And, and, and um, you know, we, we don't have Chinese spies sleeping with congressmen. That, th- th- Russia, 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 Trump. I mean, you'll see people say, well, why haven't you denounced uh, communist China? Well, you haven't denounced Trump. It's like, that's not the question. Why have well, you haven't denounced Trump? It's like, what? One is not the other. You just, just Trump, Trump, Trump. That's and that's all they have. And it's I can't imagine um, having th- thinking about someone I hate that much because I always tell people if you're feeling bad that's what someone's thinking about you. You wouldn't feel that way if you realize how little they actually think about you. But these people can't stop Trump. It's all Trump, Trump, Russia, Trump, Russia. Even though that's a hoax, they've admitted it, and and they haven't admitted it, but it's been proven. They still won't admit it. Okay, but here's here's where it gets interesting. Two things. We're going to talk about talk about General Milley in one second, but. The Chinese, here's what they said. They're mad at us. The the Chinese foreign ministry declared it's strong discontent and protest that we shot down this balloon, saying China had told Washington repeatedly that the balloon was, and quoting here, a civilian aircraft that had inadvertently flown over the United States and that its presence was, quote, totally accidental. Um, They go on to express their their upset that we would react so excessively, saying we have seriously violated international convention and China retains the right to respond further. I mean, you got to love the, the chutzpah on these guys. They lied to your face. And, and, you know, depending on what our interests are, our Pentagon, our White House would pretend that we believe it. We have a tendency to apologize to a lot of people, especially when the left is in power. And, uh, you know, oh, you only went 6,000 miles off course? Okay, no, in a balloon. I've seen stuff on the internet where I, I, I hope it started as a joke, but people are catching up on it. And they're saying, you know, prayers up to the two people in the balloon, because, you know, one had the binoculars and one was taking notes. And and people are going to believe that nonsense because it's out there. There's nobody say, in that thing. No, but I, that actually was kind of funny because it makes, yeah, I guess one guy's looking, one guy's right, and they switch out. Makes sense. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, they, 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 they realize that no one's going to fact check uh, China. And when when we do, we're going to lie. It's a weather balloon that, you know, we tried to check out uh, the southern part of the east coast of Russia, but we ended up in South Carolina getting shot down just without without provocation. Mm-hmm. Right. But this gives us enough cover if we want it to resume our little meeting with Blinken. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, he, you know, it was an accident. They, they said it was an accident. You know, they're upset we shot it down, but we had to act tough. And we did. We, we acted immediately. And we were definitely going to tell you all along. That's the other thing they're saying. Joe Biden's saying, well, you know, we were 100 percent going to be transparent about this all along. Bull, bull. No. But we know because of the reporters in Montana and the good people of Montana no. who are no. like, they're, what the hell is that thing? They're semi transparent when they get caught. And even when they get caught, you could catch some of these guys with their hand in the cookie jar and they would say, that's not my hand. Yeah. 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 But well, uh, yeah, I, I still think they should have the meeting. I th- still think Blinken should go there. I just wish. Uh, they would do it with um, 
being a little more firm instead of, you know, yes, yes or no, sir, which I think. Well, should there be any consequences? I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I realize well, we have to deal with China, but like sh- nothing. We're just going to like shrug our shoulders and move on. I mean, it's tough because, you know, China's infiltrated quite a bit here. So you don't know who in D.C. is on the take. I mean, that's the reason a lot of people make a lot of decisions because people are getting paid on the back end. That's why a lot of people on Capitol Hill in a city that doesn't produce anything are very, very rich. A lot of it's Chinese money. Mm, there's one congressman. It's a Democrat. I'm trying to find his name. But he's out there criticizing this whole thing, saying, oh, my God, calm down, Republicans. You know, don't don't get your panties in a bunch. Um, and it turns out his he had some top staffer. Um, Oh, was, was it Chris Murphy? No, it wasn't Chris Murphy. No, it was Don Byers, Democrat from mm-hmm. Virginia, who um, had a staffer fired last year after allegedly being caught spying for communist China. So Don Byers wants us to calm down. He says, great news for my Republican colleagues. They can stop panicking about a balloon now after it had been shot down. Don, I think you need to clean up your own house before you start. That's, right. That's one of the things. These- clean your own house before you start telling me how to handle mine. I mean, look at like Senator right. Dianne Feinstein had a Chinese spy driving for her for two decades. That's I mean, that's right. pretty significant. I mean, I'm you sure mentioned Swalwell. Did he did he comment? <laughs> the guy sleeping with a Chinese spy? Like, did he weigh in? Yeah, you got these dudes that can't get a date in college. They get to Congress. All of a sudden, these Asian girls are all over them. Huh. I'm starting to see I'm starting to see a pattern. <laughs> oh, interesting. OK, that actually that's fascinating. And nobody wants to talk about the swallow thing, but no, it's disgusting. No. Um, and he won't mention it either. He's, he's he's as pure as the driven snow. So this is just on the timing. Um, Andy McCarthy, always doing great reporting at National Review, points out the Biden White House kept the balloon's presence under wraps for fear of derailing that Blinken trip until local media in Billings, Montana, published a picture of it on Thursday afternoon. If the balloon had not been noticed by enough members of the public that it was reported by the press and yeah, that that it, that the press got got onto it, the American secretary of state would be glad handing in Beijing today, even as China's surveillance aircraft was lolling over our homeland and defense facilities. That's exactly right. That's what was about to happen. But here's where here's where what I want to talk to you about. So there's do you know Jack Posobiec? He's on I think yeah. he worked at own. And I have to tell you, I've had a complicated history of this guy. I didn't think much of him at first. And on Twitter, I we've had sparred a little. I really like this guy now. I have to tell you, I think like he tweets out some really smart and interesting yeah. content. Yes. And I've become a fan, which is a high compliment because I used to think not so well of him. Um, but he tweeted out uh, something suggesting a like what's going on with General Milley? I'm trying to find. Oh, he says, did the Chinese spy balloons fly near the U.S. during the Trump administration? And Milley deliberately withheld the intel from the White House. Now, that could just be a random musing. I mean, I get that, right? Because we know Milley undermined Trump. Milley thought he was in control when Trump wouldn't accept the election results and so on. So we actually just went back and refreshed our memories on Milley. Do you remember? Yeah. he? went to, according to Bob Woodward's book, he went around to the senior officers responsible for launching the nukes and yeah. and said, OK, the president alone can give that order, but I have to be involved. Looking each in the eye from Woodward's book, Millie asked the officers to affirm that they had understood in what he considered to be an oath and went on. You know, this is, of course, old reporting now, but just, now just a refresher. He called his Chinese military counterpart on Trump again via Bob Woodward. Uh, as well as Bob Costas, book Peril. Milley feared Trump might launch a strike on China on October 30th, 2020. He called General Lee and said, I want to assure you the American government is stable. Everything is going to be OK. We are not going to attack or conduct any kinetic operations against you. 
We've known each other for five years. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It won't be a surprise. He reportedly believed Trump was unstable, told his Chinese counterpart we're 100 percent steady in January of 2021. Everything's fine, but democracy can be sloppy. And if you look back at the history, Rob, is it so implausible that maybe it was the intel people like Rick Grinnell and John Bolton and others under Trump who genuinely knew nothing about this? And perhaps there was some knowledge, you know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs who didn't think it was wise to share too much with President Trump. Yeah, that's a tough one. As, as far as uh, General Milley, I've never met the man. I, I would like to hope someone, you know, the highest ranking officer in the military would have the country's best interest in mind. And if he I mean, he honestly believed at the time when he called his uh, counterpart in China, just assuring him we're not pushing the button. So don't you push the button? You know, that's I, I wasn't there for that, but that's definitely out of line as far as the chain of command goes. And, and it's, a, you know, that's not even a faux pas. You can't do it. Um, if you think it's, it's you know, a if you think the president's, uh, you don't do that, basically. But like I said, I never met them, and I hope he had the best intentions. But as far as someone in Intel knowing about something like a balloon, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't put it past a lot of these guys with the compartmentalized intelligence, but um, the way they tell stuff, because um, if they don't think it's, I mean, the president needs to know. but And that's one of the things where he should be able to know everything. That's why he has the power to see everything and declassify whatever he doesn't want to. But what's going on right now in D.C. and with a lot of these people that are sometimes just bumping elbows to see what they can do and what they can get after the military, after the Intel, which which uh, contractor they can work for. Uh, yeah, everything as far as not stirring the pot for them or don't tell your boss bad news. It wouldn't surprise me if someone knew and didn't tell anybody. But, you know, it all comes back to Joe Biden getting the getting the intel and then saying, well, I said shoot it down. They said no. That it's that that's definitely uh, not so much of a coup, but it's it's definitely not running the way a smooth military organization should. And when you're dealing with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the Pentagon up to the commander in chief, who is the president, that's a military organization. And there's some uh, <clears throat> there's some. That's not the right way to do it. Well, it could just be a matter of semantics. Like the, the reports are, he said, you know, I, I commanded them to do it as soon as possible. <laughs> and their response was that has to wait until it's over the Atlantic Ocean. But I would imagine sitting there as a commander in chief, you have the ability to then think and say, why the Atlantic Ocean? Why not over Montana? You couldn't pick a much better state with, you know, huge fields that are open and sparse population to get rid of this thing. It's been over America since last Saturday. Why are we going to wait another half a week? To get rid of it, how much information are we going to allow it to obtain before we take it out? Yeah, it's, but that's, I mean, it's not the Pentagon's call. It's not the Joint Chiefs' call. And it's not the National Security Council's call. It's their job to advise. And the commander in chief makes the call. But it's just the yeah. way he did it. I, and again, he, I mean, he's been known to say things he didn't quite mean or uh, didn't say in the right way or just made up a word in some cases. Um, but yeah, he, he made it sound like I gave the order. And they said no. So there. And it's almost one of those things like, OK, did, did Ron Klein tell you not to do it? Did Barack Obama mm -hmm. or Susan Rice tell you not to do it, that you can't do it because you're not actually in charge? I mean, we've heard, we've heard people say that he's, uh, Joe Biden's never made a, a sound um, a sound call as far as um, anything foreign, foreign relations his entire career, which is about five decades. And even President Obama said never underestimate the uh, opportunity for Joe Biden to screw things up in not so many words. But, you know, that's that's just that. I mean, is he just lost in the sauce and lost in the swamp? Who knows? But mm. uh, it's it's definitely not. It doesn't seem like a streamline up and down. People are withholding and then doing stuff that they shouldn't do because they think they're doing the right thing, even though that's not the way to run a biz. But, uh, you know, that place is getting it, it's if any place needs a bath, it's Washington, D.C. Yeah, I got to say, Millie and Austin don't instill a lot of confidence either. So it's like, OK, um, was something you said a, a minute ago caught my ear and on the subject of feeling less than confidence confident in these guys. NBC News reported a week ago that there's an that uh, the guy who's the head of Air Mobility Command, he's an Air Force general, 
He's the head of Air Mobility Command, uh, which has nearly 50,000 service members in it, nearly 500 planes responsible for transport and refueling, um, said to his people, I hope I'm wrong, but my gut tells me we'll fight in 2025 with China, um, predicting that Taiwan and the United States are going to have presidential elections in 2024, and thus the U.S. will be distracted, and Xi Jinping will have an opportunity to move on Taiwan. Signing uh, si- The signed memo is addressed to all air wing commanders, among others, and orders them to report all major efforts to prepare for the China fight uh, back to base by February 28th, and says in particular, during the month of February, right now, he directed all personnel to, quote, fire a clip into a seven meter target with the full understanding that unrepentant lethality matters most. Aim for the head. What's going on here, Rob? Well, that's a general who's telling it like it is. And and he's right that as a nation, we should be preparing for that kind of a war with China. Doesn't mean it's coming, but we've been doing that for a long time. We do get distracted with the the bells and whistles of the woke ideology, everything down to making sure every ship should be electric, even though the cleanest form of energy is nuclear, which the ships are. But that's a different conversation. And he's a four star general in the Air Force who's basically, you know, he's one of the top dogs. And I'm surprised he still has a job for sending that memo out. I'm sure he's on his way out because they don't like to hear that. They don't want to hear that the the military's job is to go defend things and maybe fight a big, uh, you know, fight China and Russia at the same time, which brings Iran into it. Uh, That's going to potentially a world war. And, um, you know, Taiwan's a real problem. It's not because of um, the landmass of Taiwan. It's because of all the the chips that are being built, the microchips and and all that stuff. Uh, They want to take it for that. But you got to realize that is much different in China than it is in Ukraine, because you don't have European countries there that can kind of put your left foot in, your left foot out. And we're sending these vehicles there, but not really. And we're kind of doing this. And we might be NATO. This is an amphibious assault. And that's going to be, if it comes, that's going to be from China onto the island. And you can't just back off of that. That's a major thing, which will involve the United States Navy, Jap- um, the Japanese Navy, and then uh, Australia as well. So China realized that. But see, China also realizes that they're the 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 like the the one kid um, policy the one child policy is going to catch up with them because pretty soon their infrastructure won't be able to support the elderly so they're kind of aware of that even though Xi Jinping is not getting the truth about everything there are people smart enough to realize that China might not be able to uh, to handle a war so it's it's I mean it's not fun to talk about and thank God all the crazy people have nuclear weapons which you know would be a complete disaster for the entire planet life as we know it. But um, yeah, the, gen- the general did say that prepare for war. And I hope there are more people like him uh, down to the one star than the, the 06 level and then to the senior enlisted and all the junior officers who are eventually going to come up and have to lead this because that wouldn't it wouldn't be fast to start. It wouldn't be fast to to defend and it will take a long, long time. So that's a very scary prospect. And it, I, I hope it's not just thrown around uh, with people not really thinking it through. Yeah, oh my God, this is the last thing we want to get into. But you know, no, we don't need that. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, said recently. Uh, earlier this month, he was asked, is, is the Chinese invasion of Taiwan imminent? And he said, well, we are seeing some very provocative behavior on the part of China's forces um, and their attempt to establish a new normal. But does that mean an invasion is imminent? I seriously doubt that. So, I mean, they also said that the Afghanistan army was not going yeah. to collapse within 11 days. So take it with right. a grain of salt. Well, and and China, right, China's yeah, been, been, they've been making man-made islands off the coast of China now that they said, oh, we're just doing it for good. We're not going to militarize them. And all they're doing is making they're making stationary aircraft carriers that are militarized now. They're, I mean, they're they're they are playing chess. They're playing the long game with not just Pacific, but they're moving in. They want to move into the Atlantic. They're taking stuff on both sides of the Panama Canal. Like China's not messing around. And uh, like if, as long as we have a deterrent and stop 
giving them everything and letting them own us, we we could be okay. And we are, you know, we are the uh, the unfortunate superpower. We're lucky enough to have uh, oceans on both sides. But uh, the you know, I always my, one of my favorite sayings is it's a it's a large planet, but it's a small world, and and it, a lot of it's turning red like China. Mm. Gosh, I know those oceans. Thank God for them. But you know what? You can fly little balloons over those oceans and you can get a whole bunch <laughs> yeah. of information on what's happening on this bland uh, yeah, mass we call it. With America. gas prices, we might all be doing that soon. <laughs> all right, stand by, Rob. We'll squeeze in a quick break. We'll come right back. More with Rob O'Neill on the opposite side of this break. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Rob, um, we the January 6th committee is over because the that Congress is over and those Democrats have no longer uh, control over the House. But Jamie Raskin, who was on the committee and helped lead it, is still out there saying he believes they did good work and he believes that what they found will help the Department of Justice indict President Trump. Still believes that President Trump will be indicted based on his behavior uh, in connection with January 6th. This as we get this tweet, I'm sorry, but it must be discussed publicly from a member of our media. Lawrence O'Donnell over there at MSNBC tweets out this picture of the Capitol. And for our listening audience, it's just a picture of, of the Capitol from inside the Capitol from the look of it. And he writes, uh, today is my first time inside the Capitol since Jan 6. Everything looks the same, but it doesn't feel the same. Maybe I'll get used to it again. But now, it feels like a visit to an historic battlefield. Out of every window, you see the paths of the attackers. He's just like you. He's basically like, you know, you shot bin Laden. He he went to January 6th long after he went to the Capitol long after January 6th and took this picture, Rob. So you guys are the yeah. same. Just like being on a historic battlefield together. Hollow <laughs> ground. Yeah. Yeah. I actually uh, I retweeted that with uh, I said, so there I was. No shit. Because that's uh, that's how we always start a story when you're kind of just telling a lie. There I was, knee deep in brass and hand grenade bins. It was crazy. The <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, come on, dude. Like it's they they just love January six so bad. They they want you know they say it's the greatest threat to democracy, the greatest attack on democracy since the Civil War. Which to me, I would think is an insult to the people who died in the towers, Pentagon, Flight ninety three, uh, who died yes. at um, um, Pearl Harbor. You know, for the <laughs> I don't uh, they just they love it. They can't get away from it. And they, they, Donald Trump fills so much space in these people's heads that if they had anything on him, he would be in prison now. They they, mm-hmm. they would have it. They like uh, we got Adam Schiff saying, we, oh, no, we have it. It's going to be groundbreaking. And when we release, you don't have anything. If you did, you, you would. Everyone's trying to indict him. And they, they, they just seem like they have nothing. And January 6th, they're just they're blowing it way out of proportion. Yes, they can see 
the uh, the the lines of the attackers because that's where the the red velvet ropes are. They stayed in the ropes and they went into the speak. I mean, yes, it, that's what somebody so Billboard Chris tweeted out. Never forget how they almost breached the velvet ropes. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just stop? I mean, so first of all, was, even if you were there, this is not an appropriate way to talk about what happened on January 6th. But but especially Lawrence O'Donnell was nowhere near Capitol. He was not there. So for him to be, talk about like the trauma, uh, like going back there, the battlefield. Oh, could you stop? You weren't there. No. It like this wasn't a bad bod. Like just be, no. get, have was, some perspective. It was worse in Minneapolis in 2020 when they were actually burning the city down in mostly peaceful protests. I mean, should they have gone to the Capitol like that? Absolutely not. But it was more of a herd mentality of, oh, look what we're doing. I mean, yeah, they broke a few gates and stuff. And then, you know, one person was murdered that was a, an attacker by a, a cop with a negligent discharge that he should never done anyway. But then they, they tried to make more deaths than there was. Like someone accidentally hit themselves with a with a taser and and had a heart attack, which I shouldn't be laughing about, but it wasn't, no, it wasn't murder mayhem. They didn't burn the Capitol down. It wasn't like Paul Revere was riding around saying the British are coming. It was a bunch of people that were cold. The battlefield, the, the, the like the an battle. historic battlefield out of every window. You yeah, see he's the paths of the attackers. Okay. So his he's got a flair for the dramatic, this one. Um, let me ask you about Ukraine quickly, because I, I saw you tweeting on Ukraine and I am interested. So we're sending tanks, but we're saying no to F-16s. For now, but the New York Times quick to r remind us, well, F-16s may be a temporary. No, we may basically get Germany or some European country to do it, to send F-16s, I guess, that we've already given them, um, send theirs to Ukraine. So it's not us directly. But what do you make of this? Sending the tanks are OK, but not the F-16s. Well, the tanks are OK because it's going to take a long time for, to them, for them to build. And for some reason, they're saying they need to build them from the bottom up, which is going to take five years maybe to get them there, which is good oh. for the military industrial complex, because that means we get to keep paying um, the budget for at least five more years for people who are on the take, who are sending this big armor in there. And, you know, it's a huge budget for the Pentagon. But when they lose 39 percent of it, what's the big deal? They won't get audited. Not a problem. Uh, when we have, a, I, I don't know the numbers, but we have maybe a thousand or more M1A1 Abrams tanks in Europe already. I mean, I, or with the, the tens of billions of dollars we've already laundered to Zelensky. Why can't he just buy him with those? But someone's on the take here somewhere and they're putting, you don't need, you don't need those tanks in there to defeat tanks. We could def defeat tanks with a couple Javelin units, which are anti-tank missiles that can destroy any tank in the world to include the Abrams. But that would be less of a footprint and a lower paycheck for someone who's making these decisions and obviously buying stock in the company that makes them. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're going to set, they already have Bradley fighting vehicles in there, which can destroy tanks and those can move. The, uh, they got great armor that's interactive some you know the people that we do need the the uh the smart guys the engineers that design the armor have made the bradley so they'll defeat anything russia has and uh you know if, if we wanted to destroy the tanks we could but they're tiptoeing towards a world war because technically obviously nato is not i'm sorry ukraine is not a nato country but now that we're sending tanks in and germany saying well we'll send tanks and if you send tanks in, and so are the brits mm -hmm. and like I'm pretty sure the last time germany sent tanks over borders not a lot of good stuff comes out of it but now that for some reason they want to send the tanks in there and, and you know, people are getting paid. So they're not. And whatever's really happening in Ukraine um, is, get, is, get, is still, you know, maintaining whatever cover up it is. So they're going to do it. And they're going to send the tanks there. And then if F-16s come in, I mean, I don't know when you have to admit that we're actually contributing to this war. But we've got right. Patriot missiles there. We've got advisors on the ground. We're training people. Poland wants to send people in. It's like this is it's getting touchy. Like, again, because at some point someone's got nuclear weapons and again that's not good i'm not i don't advocate any of this but uh boy I, both sides of the aisle democrats and republicans man they sure do love keeping wars going oh it is disturbing i mean like tiptoeing into yeah. world war three like you just said that's nothing any of us should want 
Um, if, if you think the Ukrainian cause is a noble one or not, you got to have serious pause about that. We're not in a war right now. We, America, are not actively in a yeah. war for the first time in a long time. And uh, you're raising some interesting points about how there's always a group that kind of wants it and rushes toward it. And there are all sorts of financial reasons and other why they do it. And we're, you know, historically too afraid to ask those questions, but we shouldn't be. Well, it's, it's like the whole thing with uh, there's no uh, there's no money in the cure, but there sure is money in the treatment. So we can keep pumping these tanks out as long as we need them somewhere. Hmm. I didn't realize that uh, that we had so many tanks over in Europe already. Oh, yeah, we have um, a lot that, there because of the Cold War. We still have NATO because of, at the end of World War II, we started NATO to stop Russia. And then we just kept it like we don't we're really good at creating stuff. But I've never seen anything by any government have a problem, make a department, say, well, fix that and then disband the apart the department. We just keep it going. The Pentagon's still there. That was a World War II thing for the, the Department of War. But we'll just keep it there and just keep putting. We used to call uh, as operators, we used to call the Pentagon the five sided wind tunnel. Because it's a place where you can go, there's a lot of wind blowing through, and even a one-star general doesn't have a parking spot because there's so many people working there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the things you learn. All right, so shifting gears to another military man, just like you, just exactly like you, except not even in a little. Um, Harry, Prince Harry, he is yes. out there bragging about his exploits, giving a number to the uh, number of Taliban that he killed in his memoir. I've been dying to ask you about this uh, as somebody who actually is a decorated uh, hero. What did you make of that controversy? Because there were a lot of Brits who had served, you know, honorably, who said, "Not yeah. okay." You put the the current troops in danger, and um, and you made yourself look bad. And you made the rest of us look bad because nobody goes out there and gives the specific numbers of their kills. What did you make of it? Uh, you know, with with Prince Harry, um, he was he was flying or co-piloting or the gunner of an Apache attack helicopter, and whenever they get called to engage. It's because people on the ground are in trouble and they really need help. And Apache's always come through. And um, I mean, as far as if he's really killing Taliban and Al Qaeda forces, I wish he would have killed more. I'm fine with that. Um, uh, he, he said what he said. And, he, you know, there were chess pieces here and there, with blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't have a problem with him doing that. I, I was not with him. I never served with him. And he was there. And, you know, I've heard different things. But if I hear people talk about other people that weren't with him, I, don't, I take it, you know, with a grain of salt. If he killed him, fine. If he, ha if he has a number, that's great. I never uh, I don't. I've been in a lot of combat. I don't know how to confirm a kill, and I don't know how many I have. I know who the last guy I killed was. It actually wasn't Bin Laden, but it was the same gun. But, um, I mean, if he's, you know, newsflash. We find bad guys, and we have people that shoot him. If, if an Apache helicopter kills him, that's great. Um, as far as, as as putting people in danger, I mean, if it radicalizes someone, possibly. But, I mean, they hated us before. They hated us on 9-10. They hate us now. Um, it's, it's not really – I don't think it's going to change that much. And um, – you know, he's just out there to sell books. They, you know, they. I think some people were calling him Bunker Harry because he was just down in there watching movies with people. But you know, he mm -hmm. went. Thanks for his service, and he's flying on Apache. That's cool. Mm -hmm. What What do you think the buzz is like in the military community about doing that? About saying they were just like chess pieces on the board to me, and I killed at least twenty or whatever his number was. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a lot more personal, close to close. Uh, sorry, face to face. When you're up close, killing someone in their own bedroom, it is more personable, and you do think about the humanity, especially when there's families involved. So I wouldn't say chess pieces. I would. I mean, for me, it was like. Me and this guy got in a fight and I killed him simply because we were born on different parts of the earth. I didn't even know him. He didn't know me, but we both had guns. I mean, I mean, I he picked up a gun because I was in his room and I was in his room because someone made a decision for us to go there. Um, you know, it gets personal. There's definitely humanity involved. In, and uh, chess pieces, I don't think is fair because in my experience in a couple of different theaters, most people, the, the vast majority in the 90s are just trying to raise their families and get on with their lives like the rest of us. And they have to deal with us and with Al Qaeda. Not sure who's the bad guy because we're the occupiers and these are the, the extremists. 
Um, so it's it, it's with everyone who's killed, regardless of your ideology, someone believed you were the good guy and they all have fathers and they all have mothers and someone misses them. So, you know, it's a lot to think about years. At, that's why, I'm, you know, that's why I have a tendency to throw around phrases like military industrial complex, because when I was 27, I'll invade Canada. I'm ready to fight. But now I'm older and it's like, what are we really doing? So I, I try to think it. I try to be more thoughtful with it. And, uh, you know, on Twitter, I'm only 60 percent serious. Yeah, no, uh, same. I mean, that's that's what Twitter's for. No, but I, I, I heard it. similar sentiments from Dakota Meyer about, yeah. you know, his historic fight. Just like, what are, what are we doing here? He's about to kill me. I'm about to kill him. And for what? And because other people made decisions, the land's away. And it is complex. I guess I get it. I'm actually getting the controversy. I, I think I was the one who thought the number was more controversial and the chess pieces wasn't. But a lot of the military guys responded to the chess pieces thing that he said. And now, you know, I see what you're saying. You're kind of persuading me over the other way. Well, it, was, and it was some of those training scars, too. I, I always I always get a kick out of confirmed kills. We used to have a thing on our wrist before the war started uh, that we'd wear keeping count of rooms and houses and numbers and stuff like that. And how many uh, unknowns were left and how many how many you killed. And I stopped wearing it because when I got in combat, I'm like, I didn't need to come out of a room and ask, did I just kill a guy just now? Let me. Oh, yeah, I got that's one for me. Mm, so, yeah. As far as the numbers, I don't know. I mean, I, I, like I said, I remember my first, I remember one in the middle, and I remember my last. All right. Shifting gears to last night's Grammys. Did you watch them? Uh, I caught the highlights. I didn't watch them. I have no interest in that. I got to say, I'm like, yeah. I, I don't have any interest in these people. I don't have any interest in like the fat. I really don't. Like, I, I'm just whatever. But I will say that Sam Smith's performance is making a lot of headlines today yeah, because apparently he went that. out there and did this whole devil. Look, here's a clip. This devil themed performance celebrating yeah. mm, Satan. Remember? Yeah. Remember this? Church ladies. <laughs> Satan, exactly. Church lady. BDSM yeah. themes. Uh, halfway through the song, he added a horned hat to his look. It, and then, of course, as if on cue, the whole thing ends and it, it has the banner sponsored by Pfizer. Pfizer. <laughs> so that was like, something, wasn't it? It's an amazing troll, really, of the right wing. And, and the right wing is I upset. Think, I, I think that Sam Smith is trolling the right. I really do. Because the thing is, we're saying these are all demons. This is a demonic cause, and they're all into this BDSM and the devil. And and Sam, I mean, Sam Smith loves. It. He was he kind of went out of the limelight for a while, and I think he. I mean, based on the nipple tassels in his latest video, I think he likes yes. attention. And What's and going uh, he was going for it again, and that's a big stage. It's you know brought to you by Pfizer. That's I mean, you see that on there, there's a certain cable news network that everything is sponsored by Pfizer because they made a lot of money during a lockdown recently. I'm not sure if you remember, but it's uh, I I mean, it, it, a lot of it is thumbing the nose at a lot of people and whatever. I mean. We've had heavy metal bands that I love that have had, um, you know, they have a pentagram. They uh, shout at the devil, all this stuff. And it's it's been around there. I mean, if if you believe in your time's up, you're going to wish you didn't do it. I'm I'm happy with where I am. But I think I've made peace. So if you're going to get more disturbed by raised. this video, I'm more disturbed by this video that we're showing here that you just referenced. Yeah. Not not the devil yeah. stuff, but the nipple. Oh, the First of all, you, if you are a man, you do not need nipple covers. What are you doing with nipple covers? Nothing coming out of that nipple that you need to cover. Whatsoever, that's, okay. That's, so take them I've off. I've seen that video and it's not my thing, but I really have an appreciation for the ass choreography. Those guys had it going on. They were good at that. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I feel uncomfortable. And then, and then they had the little the things that resembled someone peeing on them. Which again, hey. Oh yeah, that's happening here. I don't. This is worse to me than the Satan video. I don't. Yeah. I don't really think. I don't really think it's about devil worship. It's like whatever. I mean, he. he I'm sure it's a middle finger to. Christians, they basically said as much that they don't feel accepted. His partner on the thing said, I, we don't feel accepted by, you know, Christianity or whatever. There's just a trans person. I don't this. I have to be honest. It doesn't bother me. That other video bothers me a lot more, yeah, although I do, I do own a media company called Devil May Care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you think of Dr. Jill's dress? 
I know you love it when they oh, call Dr. a doctor. Oh, Dr. Jill. Oh, yeah. she got a standing ovation. I was not a big fan of the dress. She got a standing ovation even okay. without them calling her doctor. And I, so That's see, crazy. Jill, you That's can crazy. do it. You can do, you don't need the honorarium everywhere you go. That's everywhere, number one. And number two, I, I love Melania. I'm sure Melania Trump was given this same opportunity, Rob, but just could, was too busy to pre present yeah, Song of the Year. First lady stuff going on and she's not a doctor. I love, I read the New York <laughs> Times today when they were saying that Dr. Jill's dress was gleaming like, uh, like uh, Lizzo's dress or something like that. The, uh, the smile of, or whatever, Lizzo is great. I, I screwed that up, but I, it cracked me up that they're comparing them all. And they just, they throw the doctor in there all the time. I, it's like when I walk past um, the post office and it says, heroes work here. It's like, yeah, you're kind of throwing that road around loosely, but whatever, get some. <laughs> That's an amazing image, Rob O'Neill. <laughs> like, you think, uh, really? I, I was walking past the post office with my wife and it, it said, heroes work here. And I said, did, did Buzz Aldrin get a second job? What's What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> they were saying that about the grocery store workers during COVID too. Yeah. Heroes were like, yeah. mm, I mean, like we appreciate it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, like I love in. that guy in the liquor store, but Hero seems strong. <laughs> Thanks for the discount on this keto bread that I love. <laughs> <laughs> Rob O'Neill, so fun to see you. Thank you for being here. Anytime, Megan. Thanks. Great to see you. That right there is an actual American hero. Uh, and remember, folks, you can find The Megan Kelly Show live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Full video show and clips at youtube.com slash Megan Kelly. And follow us as an audio podcast, too, for free. Spotify, Apple, Pandora, Stitcher, wherever you like. It's free and you can check out the archives. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the Internet which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high-coverage foundation. More popular than soft-launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. We hear nothing but praise and adulation in the corporate media surrounding the transgender experience these days. But what about the people who have transitioned and realized that it was a massive mistake for them? Their voices are usually suppressed and marginalized. A new Daily Caller documentary called Damaged, the Trans of America's Kids, gives these detransitioners a platform to tell their side of the story with a hefty warning in the process. Co-producer of Damaged and Newsmax contributor Chrissy Clark uh, is here with us, along with Chloe Cole, a detransitioner who is featured in the documentary. Welcome to the show, Chrissy and Chloe. Great to have you both. Thanks for having us, Megan. I appreciate it. All right. So let me start with you, Chrissy, as, as the person who helped make this and put this together. Why did you think this was necessary and why did you call it damaged? Well, first off, corporate media refuses to touch this subject. I know we had uh, ABC or NBC touch it briefly and they got a lot of pushback for it. But the problem is, is that this is not just one part of the issue. Uh, it, it's not just kids that undergo uh, you know, the transition like Chloe did and then regret it in one way. There are so many different stories and so many different kids that are undergoing this in so many different ways that we wanted to be able to tell the story of multiple people. This uh, takes you through uh, Walt Hayer, who is I believe he's in his 80s now. He transitioned when he was in, in the 1980s, when he was in his 40s. And then we're telling the story of Chloe, who's young. She's 18 years old, and she underwent this all before she was 18. So we wanted to be able to tell all the different stories from all different perspectives, the ones that you won't hear from corporate media. 
Did you, was it hard to find detransitioners like Chloe to speak to you? Because we know that they get bullied viciously when they say that they're going to detransition. It's kind of crazy the amount of pressure they get not to detransition. So was it hard to find people to speak about it on cam? Right. Chloe is uh, our godsend. Seriously, <laughs> she was always willing to speak up. Um, and she, I think, has really ignited other people to speak up as well. I wouldn't necessarily say it was hard. I think it was hard to find people uh, that wanted to go on with their real names. That's usually the hardest mm -hmm. part about all of this. But there are a lot of people that have this story and that do want to speak up. So no, it wasn't hard because there are so many people that this has happened to. And they are pining to get the story out because they're willing to speak. And it's incredible. And I, I really do applaud Chloe. Uh, she has been one of the most vocal people about this. And because of that, she's prompted other people to come forward. So shout out to the bravery of an 18 year old doing more than most mainstream media outlets are about this. That's subject. crazy. Chloe, you're only 18 crazy. years old right now. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You were just watching you in the film. You're, since just, I was 17. you're so articulate. You're, you have such a nice mature <laughs> presence about you. I mean, granted, you've been through a lot in your 18 years, but Wow, I didn't realize that you were currently 18. That's incredible. So I have to say, one of the things that jumped out at me about your story was um, about a week or two ago, we had on Dr. Leonard Sachs, who wrote Why Gender Matters, among many other parenting books. He's well worth the read if you're going to have kids. And um, he maintains that gender does matter and that it's a real thing, even to this day. Shocking, controversial. And um, <laughs> one of the things he was saying, I, I heard in your testimonial which was he said some young girls see nothing but sexualized images of girls all over the internet and also women complaining about childbirth or menstruation or you know sexual harassment how difficult it is to be a woman but in particular the sexualization of women with the with the big bodies and the plastic surgeries and that there are young girls out there thinking that's not me and I don't want that to become me. And this can be a trigger for some to start thinking about transitioning. And I confess to you, Chloe, in the back of my mind, I was like, really, could that do it? Like, could that? And that's in part your story. Yeah, it was because I had been exposed to these images for so long and also due in part because I also hit puberty at a young age and I was subject to a lot of comments on my body from other people including like my peers and even some adults, I was very, I was very conscious of my body and I actually developed a, I actually developed body dysmorphia, which went undiag undiagnosed until after I transitioned. Mm -hmm. So you're, I mean, you're just a normal, like American girl. Talk, talk about your family life and how it was and where you are. If you have siblings, where you are in the birth order, all that, just get, get help us get to know you a little. Yeah, I'm in a pretty nuclear family. I have both of my parents are in the picture. Um, I've got five older, I've got four older siblings, but um, they're they're all half siblings, and they're all not all of them were in the picture because um, some of their parents had had more custody over them than my parents did, and so they weren't always at home when I was. And all of them are about seven to eight years older than me, so I wasn't particularly close to them. So, what was your childhood like? Like, was it was it happy? Was it dysfunctional? And I know. Um, there, there's a couple of incidents highlighted in the film, but overall, how would you describe it? Um, with socializing and with school, it was pretty difficult for the most part. Um, I'm actually on the spectrum, and because of that, that affected my socialization and my my performance in school. And it didn't help that I was diagnosed a lot later. Um, 
there was one grade when I finally, after a few years of being bullied and not really fitting with my peers, I finally managed to fit in and make some friends. But immediately after that, um, right before middle school, I had to, I moved neighborhoods and schools and I was pretty much back at square one. And so I had turned to the internet to make friends. The internet. And that was, that was what led to my exposure to, to the LGBT and transition. So you were age 11 when your parents got you a phone? Yeah. This is very scary. I have an 11 year old right now who is dying for me to get her a phone. She turns 12 in April. You know, a lot of parents out there and you're told everyone has one, everyone has one. You're supposed to, you know, Dr. Sachs was saying too, like, so what? <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> so how, when you got the phone, like talk about how you got drawn into those websites. Like, how did that go? Um, well, everybody my age was using apps like Kick, Instagram, Snapchat, and I started using Instagram and Snapchat, mostly Instagram. Um, and I started seeing a lot of content that was almost completely left wing, um, a lot of feminist content, and then eventually um, some LGBT centered content. And at first it was because I was kind of a nerdy kid, you know, I liked cartoons and video games and stuff. And usually I would be active in or like I would like lurk in communities around that kind of thing. And there was kind of like an overlap between the people in those communities and like being like gay or bisexual or identifying as trans. I'm not exactly sure why, but eventually the algorithm started recommending me specifically LGBT content. And it was mostly kids my age or like young, younger adults who almost all female who identified as trans. Oh, this is so interesting. Now, wait, when you say that in those communities, do you mean the gaming community? Yeah. Yes. I just, I literally games, cartoons, just went anime. to a seminar on this at our school and they were talking about, and I heard you mention this in the documentary too. Um, there's a lot of anime that is pornographic and um, potentially, you know, brings up trans themes. And so, I mean, a lot, a lot of parents are like, oh, anime, Japanese anime. That's, well, that's harmless. No, no, you need to be aware. Yeah, I mean, there there are some films and series that are pretty clean, but even in anime that isn't like specifically like like all like explicitly pornographic, there are there is often like very sexual themes, very sexualized character designs and And once you click on it, then as you point out, the algorithms got you pegged in a certain way. That's that's really interesting to me is that suddenly without sort of willingly entering this community, they pulled you in. They, they, the, the Internet starts forcing it on you. And um, before you know it, you're in a dangerous zone because you're young and you're suggestible. And as you point out, a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of young people who think that they're trans, correct me if I'm wrong, Chloe, are in fact on the spectrum. Yes. I mean, upwards of about 30 percent. Why do you think that is? And almost. Um, well, I've heard from, from other transgender people that, I mean, puberty is pretty rough for just about anybody, but it's especially rough for us because of our, a lot of us have sensory difficulties. We don't adjust very well to change. And, um, a lot of people on the spectrum also social, struggle socially. And I would say that's, that, that, that's a big part of it, but also autistic people Many of us have a tendency to hyperfixate on things, and that's definitely true in my case. A lot of 
what led to my dysphoria was hyperfixation on things like my body, my body images, my body image, and things that I thought were wrong with me as a girl. Mm, like what? And what, it's not what, only what? autism. It's not only autism. Yeah, um, a lot of people who have dysphoria have some other sort of comorbidity, um, including ADHD, depression, anxiety, cluster B personality disorders, and the list goes on. And every every trans person or dysphoric person I know around my age either has some sort of family trauma or like a trauma that's sexual in nature, like having been abused or assaulted, and usually at a young age. Mm, that, Chrissy, you guys point that, this out in the documentary. I think four out of the yeah. five detransitioners you highlight had a sexual assault in their past. How is, how is that, you know, the connected tissue? Yeah, well, we were one detransitioner put it very aptly for us. Uh, Walt Hayer was telling us uh, essentially that when like Chloe or, or Walt, unfortunately, were touched in X area, they're not interested in actually being transgender. It's just a coping mechanism for not allowing anybody to touch that part that was, you know, obviously a sexual assault. Uh, they, they don't want that that to happen again. And so this is their way of coping with it. And just like Chloe said, uh, it is perfect. She said it perfectly. What happens is autistic kids or kids on the spectrum get hyperfixated on something and they get hyperfixating on fixing this problem. And there are no longer any psychologists out there that are willing to push back and say, no, no, this is not what you are. Instead, it is affirm, affirm, affirm. We know for a fact that cognitive behavioral therapy is some of the best therapy you can have. If you've ever been to a therapist, you know that they push back against your ideology. That is when you grow in therapy and that is no longer happening. So these children fixate on it. And then on top of it, all the parents and the psychologists are saying, affirm, affirm, affirm. And it doesn't actually get to the root problem of the sexual assault. It just affirms the delusion. Mm. So Chloe, you had a couple things going against you. You had uh, you're, the, you're on the spectrum, which has led to some of these things that you were talking about that might make this more appealing to you. And then there was a, a sexual assault, a groping that happened of you at what age? I was 13. Um, I was actually, I, I was a few, I was about a year into socially transitioning and a few months after I started medically transitioning as well. And by this point in time, I didn't really tell anybody about it. I didn't realize just how much it affected me until a few years, a few years later, actually, um, I mean, for a while, I didn't recognize it as a sexual assault because I just thought of it as, well, I'm a boy, so I'm supposed to man up and not cry about it. And I thought of it as, well, maybe this is just boys being boys. And I knew that even if it, even if it was something that I wanted to like report, because it happened within a classroom, I could have reported it to the school office, but... I knew that it was very likely that they would have just let the kid off with a slap on the wrist and he could have, he could have come back to school like within a week and potentially do something worse to me if I spoke up. And this was um, what, what happened during the exchange? He, um, he had been bullying and harassing me for pretty much the whole school year. And eventually one day he just went too far. He went up to me in a classroom and he squeezed one of my breasts. He looked me in the eyes as he did it. And 
nobody around me even seemed to notice or care. Mm. I'm so sorry that happened. That is just, that's not boys being boys. I have two boys. They would never in a million years behave like that. There's something wrong with that kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we do, we, we need to do a better job just in general of teaching kids those boundaries. Boys will be boys does not encompass behavior like that. That's not normal. Um, that's abusive. So I'm sorry you had to deal with it, but that was one of the things that just like, like we were just saying, you were like, I, I, I I shouldn't even have these breasts. The breasts will be gone. He won't be able to do that to me. And I know that. So you said that at 13, was that the first time? Cause you got the phone at 11. So when was the first, cause I know you started to bind your breasts and do things like that. When was the first time you started doing sort of transition like behavior? Um, well, about when I when I was about twelve, that was when I started. That's when I started changing my name and uh, like cutting my hair shorter and buying boys' clothes. And, and then at thirteen, sorry, excuse me. Um, at thirteen was when I started to when I was starting to go in the medical route, uh, starting with puberty blockers and testosterone. Oh, so young at thirteen! My God, I mean that. The, so the thing is. We've heard this from Abigail Schreier, Chrissy. We've heard this from Deborah So. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of girls like Chloe who get the phone or get the iPad and then spend hours in this other world where all they get is me. affirm, affirm, affirm. That was you. So actually, before I go to Chrissy, Chloe, did, did your parents not realize you were doing like n- now in today's day and age? And this wasn't so long ago, but you know, we spy on our kids. We try to make sure the good parents, for the most part, try to make sure. They're not doing stuff like that. You don't let your kid in the bedroom for three hours on their iPad when they're 13 years old. So like, what was going on there? I mean, they wouldn't really monitor what I was doing. They didn't really know what content I was accessing. I mean, they would take my phone at night, but. Like if they walked into the room while you were on one of these websites, what would you do? Um, I mean, they wouldn't even like look at my phone. Hmm. So are you an advocate for nosy parents? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm not just looking to make myself feel better, but all my fellow moms <laughs> and dads out there who, you know, it's for, it's for your children's safety. It really is. It's like, it's like letting them play with a gun and you don't know whether it's loaded or if it's real, like, oh, I'll just chance it. You know, I'll just, eh, I don't want to invade their privacy. No, no, you must for their safety. So Chrissy, that's the thing is like long hours on the internet and the influence of people who don't have your child's best interest on the internet, having access to them for hours in their bedroom at night. Right. And I want, I got to say, there's a third component to it. And that is that public schools are rife. Uh, they've created a world and a space that makes this kind of ideology perfect to permeate throughout the school districts. Okay. So you not only have this going on at home where your kid is allowed to have access to the phone, the internet. Um, you know, they start off with something innocent like anime or Disney, and then they're subjected to a bunch of wokeness and insanity that tells them that they're transgender. But then you go into the school district and the school districts are pushing this as well. They're not pushing back and they're there to cut the parent out of the conversation. That's become their role. It's become the role of uh, any sort of psychologist or any sort of uh, counselor at school. They cut the parent out and then the parent can't do anything because if they do play a role, if they do take away a phone, the parents are told that the child will then commit suicide. We, I know Dr. Deborah so has talked about this. Abigail Schreier has talked about it. It is a lie that parents are told time and time again that you would rather have an alive son than a dead daughter. Yeah, doc, Dr. Sachs was saying on our program two weeks ago that yes. 88% of children who express some sort of gender dysphoria, if left alone, will revert back to their biological sex. Just leave yes. them alone. And 88% 
will will wind up reverting back to their biological sex. And most of these turn out to be gay boys and sometimes gay girls, like lesbian girls. Right, but we don't have numbers on this right now because we don't have any medical establishment or any doctor that's willing to actually come out and say, no, this is really happening. We have Reddit threads with 46,000 detransitioners. But if you ask a gender activist or a gender doctor, they'll say 99% of people who undergo this treatment, they don't regret it. Yet we have thousands of people and Chloe herself can tell you there are so many untold stories. And Chloe, I, I loved the part of your story specifically where, or I, I didn't love it, but you know what I mean? I loved hearing about it because no one else would touch this. She didn't have anybody that would help her when there were issues with her gender uh, reassignment process. Mm -hmm. When she had issues and difficulties, not a single doctor was there. So how could we count it when the doctors are happy to do the work for the money and the surgery? And then they're gone as soon as you really need them. Well, wait, we'll get to that one second, too. Because, but, but before we get to the detransitioning on the transitioning. So you expressed to your parents, I think I'm a boy and I'm sure your parents were taken aback. But how how did it come about that you got on hormones at such a young age? And what was the messaging? Because I know your dad at least said, what percentage of the kids regret this? And he was misled. Yeah, um. I mean, at first they were okay with me, like cutting my hair and wearing different clothes and even changing my name. But when I expressed that I wanted to medically transition, they, I mean, obviously they, they were against this. They wanted me to wait until I was 18 and I was responsible for myself. Um, so they decided that after I came out to them, that they would take them to a therapist to get these feelings sorted out and maybe figure out where they come from. And that never happened. Um, they well, were I just told in, that. In the film, you say you had one, I think it's, uh, forgive me, I think it was you who said you had one therapist who was no good. And then you found another who was just affirm, 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 affirm. Yeah. I mean, every single person, pretty much every doctor, Every physician and every every psychologist I've had was affirming. And they always referred to me by the preferred name. They always said, like, oh, I'll refer to you as he, as a boy. And they told my parents, like, I mean, less than 1% of people regret transitioning. And they never presented any other options. And they even told them that, I mean, were I not to go down this route, then I would be at risk of suicide which I wasn't so suicidal by that point. So they're saying Chloe's going to kill herself unless you let her transition to being a boy. And 99% of people who go through the transition have no regrets, which both of which are yes. lies upon which you base decisions to actually have surgeries and take dramatic steps to change, quote, change your gender. Yes. My God, you must be angry. Are you angry? I'm angry for you. Absolutely. I don't blame you. I feel like this you've been so let down by a community that you tell me, Chrissy, but they seem very like, oh, what? it's good. And one of the great things about this piece, Damaged, again, is the name of the film uh, produced by The Daily Caller, is that you managed to get Dr. Joshua D. Safer. Uh, interesting name. Executive director of Mount Sinai Center for Transgender Medicine and Surgery on camera. He gave you a long interview. And I have to say, with all due respect, because Mount Sinai is a great institution, this guy doesn't seem like he could care less about people like Chloe. I mean, he just didn't care. He was like, oh, it's fine. He was talking about it like it's given them an aspirin. That was my impression in listening to him. 
Um, and he's here's here he is talking about if if you're over 18, it's happening. Here's uh, it's sat, I think. Uh, eight. If you're over 18, we unless we find a reason why we want to spend more time thinking about it with you, we take you at your word. If you come and you tell us that you are transgender and there's nothing else going on, most people who come and tell us that they understand gender identity and they are transgender and they are looking for treatment, that is really true. And we go with that. My God, Chrissy, 18, you can't even drink yet. But all you have to do is walk in and say, I'm trans and they'll give you a surgery. Oh, actually, you don't have to be 18. He let me know that in the documentary as well. I said, is there any case in which uh, you, you could come in here and say, I'm underage and I, I want to get my boobs cut off? Could I do that? Absolutely. He said, everything is a case by case basis. And if there was somebody that the example he used was, if I have a young girl who is going to college in September and she turns 18 on September 21st we would do the surgery before she leaves so that she could be in the care of her parents at the age of 17. So they're performing it underage too. Don't let them lie to you. Uh, I, the yeah. craziest part about the safer interview, I will say, was how many times I had to turn the camera off so he could tell me how un uninformed I was. I brought up Dr. Deborah So. I brought Dr. up Dr. Lippen. Lisa Lippman. Yep, I, saw I brought that. up Dr. Lisa Lippman. He refused. He would not talk to me about it. He said that rapid onset gender dysphoria was a lie made up by kooks. Um, so no, these people don't actually care about doing any of the data or the research. They're just interested in making money off of a, a medical establishment that's selling these kids lies. That was horrifying. And it's reason alone to watch this piece because she says, you know, what about Dr. Lippman of Brown University who did an yes. in-depth study on, um, rapid onset gender dysphoria that suggesting that this is a social contagion in particular amongst teenage girls that deserves further pause than this doctor safer is giving it before he starts cutting people. And uh, he, he turns right to the camera. He says, can we turn this off? And then I guess scolded you. Is that what happened that you didn't, you shouldn't have been bringing up Dr. Lippman to him? Yeah, actually it happened twice. He had to, we had to turn the cameras off and he had to give me a lesson on how uneducated I am. I'm just sitting there. I kind of laugh. I, I can't take too much of this stuff seriously when it comes to somebody trying to lecture me about did something where you, you have with a clear the political. Caller? Yeah, yes, did he know I, that you were? I mean, yeah. And he, he was very concerned that I was trying to do a Matt Walsh-esque gotcha yeah. piece. And I was like, no, sir, I will just let you say this all for yourself. I am not trying to gotcha you in any way. We're just trying to get the facts out. We reached out to a ton of other people. We reached out to Jack Turpin, who's notoriously known for his studies that claim that uh, you know rapid onset gender dysphoria doesn't exist. The 99% statistic that we talk about, 99% of transgender patients. Um, this is an individual who is funded by the very uh, hormone drugs that cross-sex hormones that changed Chloe temporarily. Um, mm. Those are funded by this guy, Jack Turbin. We wanted to sit down with him. We wanted to sit down with Dylan Mulvaney, anyone that would talk yeah. to us. Uh, these people just didn't want to get back to us. But thank goodness Dr. Safer did because, you know, for all the crazy things he said, at least he had the balls to show up. Yeah, exactly. He, he still has his balls. It's just changing that for <laughs> others. Just them off of others. <laughs> Chloe, can she mentioned Dylan Mulvaney. Can we spend a minute on Dylan Mulvaney? Because Dylan has taken the Internet and the White House by storm. Dylan is a biological man who is a trans girl now, woman. And Dylan has been featured. We 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 talked about this on the show uh, as as like talking about Dylan's girlhood. 
Dylan's, you know, I mean, it's like there was no girlhood. Dylan was raised as a biological boy and is now saying that Dylan is a girl and went through to get this facialization surgery, which set the Internet on fire last week because Dylan looks very feminine now with the facial bones, thanks to massive plastic surgery. Dylan only transitioned, I think, about two minutes ago. I mean, truly, it's been extremely fast and extremely disturbing on the from the outside. Like, how many surgeries can you fit into one year? Well, how many unethical doctors can you find to change everything there is about you? What do you what did you make of that watching it over the past year or so? Um, well, first of all, I, I find it uncomfortable that he refers in, for, to himself as a girl rather than a woman. Like he's a 25 year old biological male. It's a little bit late to be referring to yourself as a girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it's cause I'm a teenage girl myself, but I, I just find a lot of discomfort in that. But I saw I saw the news of the the facial feminization surgery last week, and I mean it's clear that this guy is just not in a good place, mm. and he's being failed in the same way as I was by my own doctors, and I I just he's clearly being enabled by 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 the doctors and. I mean, it's horrific that anybody feels like they have to do that to themselves, that they have to take a bone saw to the jaw, to to their skull Mm. in the first place. You're right. He's been asked to the White House interviewing President Biden. I mean, again, a a spokesperson for Ulta Beauty on girlhood. It's insane. Like we can't find enough actual women to speak about actual girlhood. We've now got to go to people who have been claiming to be a girl for, like I say, two minutes. Uh, There's something wrong and disturbing about it. And you raise a good point. As an actual girl, why is a 25-year-old biological man trying to say that he's just like you? Like You have your own unique experience. All of this stuff presses buttons that are uncomfortable. And can I just ask you about, while we're on this, let me, can I just ask you about, this has been something that's bothering me. So back when I was at Fox, um, and then later NBC. I was very supportive of trans people. Um, at Fox, I was upset when Keith Ablo said Chaz Bono should not be dancing and dancing with the stars. You know, Chaz is a biological girl who transitioned to male and was featured on Dancing with the And I was like, you know what? There's so much hate. Let's just like, let's try to be supportive. Then I went to NBC and I featured some transgender people and talk about their lives and how they found love and how it was helpful to them. And even on this show, we talked about kids. And out of respect for the one mother who entrusted me with the interview of her child, I, I've never gone back and like played the soundbite. And I won't because I loved their family. But it was a boy who said that he was a girl and she was convinced that it was real. And there is there is something such a thing as gender dysphoria. And it typically affects very young boys and typically not as much females. And I don't know whether this kid was in fact going through it, but we talked about it in a way that was accepting and loving. And it's not that I'm against talking about things in a way that's accepting and loving, but ever since, like th- since we've lost our minds on this subject, so that was 17, you know, and here we are, what, almost six years old, later. Um, I feel very differently about it. And I feel like it's transitioned from being supportive of the very small group of people who actually have gender dysphoria into widespread, massive 
medical abuse of hurting children, children who are hurting for different reasons in service of a political or ideological agenda. You know what I mean? And I've really wrestled with how did we go from trying to teach kindness and love and acceptance and support of people who legitimately are suffering with something to the widespread abuse of masses of American children? I'd love to get you both away on that. Chrissy, I'll start with you. Yeah, I was just I just went on a rant about this the other day. Uh, I think that the politicization of this is actually activists failing the constituents they're supposed to be supporting. They're supposed to be supporting legitimately trans people, yet they go out and support people like the man, the biological man with a penis at the YMCA who is exposing himself. Uh, I believe it was Dr. Deborah So that so aptly put it that if you have real gender dysphoria. You are not leaving your part hanging out. Okay, You are covering it up and you are partaking in the actual gender dysphoria that you feel. And that would be you don't want people to know that you are a biological man. The problem is, is that activists then go and stick up for people who use their pedophilic mindset in the name of LGBTQ alphabet So. And that's the problem that we have. The activist communities, if they stood up for real transgender people, then this love and acceptance would be painted time to people would be totally fine with it. But the problem is, is that when people hijack the transgender movement, that's how we get where we are today. And that's exactly what's happening. There's more people Mm -hmm. hijacking it than real people going through it. That trans woman later came out and claimed that they had had transition surgery. Um, We don't know whether it's true because we know as of of December 2021, it hadn't happened. But in any event, the point remains the same is it's a biological man in the in the women's room. And the woman could tell the 17 year old girl, whatever's been done. She could tell that it was a biological man. What did you what do you think of it, Chloe? It's like, I don't I don't know any longer, you know, how to draw, how to be kind and supportive of people who legitimately are suffering with this disorder, this this, you know, misguided belief that they've been born into the wrong body and those who are just being shoved like you are into this group that don't belong there and, and, you know, trying to push back against that. Yeah, I think um, the motivations in pushing this are, like Christy said, due in part to ideology and politics. But I think a big part of it is also money, especially here in the U.S. Um, I mean, I'm sure you guys know, like, Europe is starting to slow down with these procedures, especially in children. But the U.S. is just not stopping anytime soon. And I think that's due in part because the U.S. in a lot of ways is motivated more by money. Mm. And um, I think it's also just harder to stop here because we're such a big country. And just because of the way our country is run. That's right. Well, because of federalism, you know, we have states that are going to be more blue and states that are going to be more red. And the red states are pumping the brakes on this and the blue states are full steam ahead. And it's become like a principle for them a principle where they've, they've forgotten what core principles ought to be in medicine. Do no harm. That's number one. Um, let me pause for one minute. There's a lot more to get into. And we'll talk about the, de- the detransitioning when we come back with Chloe and also Chrissy of The Daily Caller. What an interesting discussion. So glad you guys are both here. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. 
Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw. I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. So, Chrissy, in the documentary, uh, you feature, as I mentioned, four other detransitioners. Kat Cadenson, who was, she's a woman who transitioned to male, then back to female, uh, talked about how her parents did not affirm her. They did not affirm. And how at the time that was very traumatic for her, but now she is grateful. So to all the parents out there just being guilted for refusing to affirm, 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 You've got the 88% statistic from Dr. Leonard Sachs. It's longitudinal studies that they've done um, saying they'll go back. They will go back to biological sex if you leave them alone. And then you've got, you know, Kat saying, I appreciate now my parents not affirming me. Um, And you've got you take a deep dive, hence the title of the film, Damage, into what happens, these medical procedures that we do so willy nilly. And then for the poor detransitioners, they're stuck with these a lot of these results forever, even though they just want to default back to their biological sex. One of those uh, is Abel Garcia, who seems like such a sweet, good guy. Uh, and he talks about going, he's, he's a biological guy who transitioned to female for a while and then realized he didn't want any part of that and talked openly about what he's now dealing with. And that's SOT4. Obviously, I have genital atrophy. Uh, for those who don't know what that means, it just means my, all my genitals are much, 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 much smaller. So it makes it really hard to use to the restroom. Um, I don't know if I'm fertile, fertile still. Memory fog, brain fog. Um, obviously, it's probably due to all the hormones I've taken. Chrissy, it it can be a very rough road once you've crossed over. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It, th- looking back on these, it was we filmed these like two months ago. It just breaks my heart all over again. I just feel for these kids so bad. I, I'm calling them kids. Abel and I are like the same age. <laughs> He's like 25 too. Uh, but he, we were talking about this uh, at his place and, and going into their homes and seeing how difficult it is to just do kind of the everyday day-to-day things when uh, your life is so derailed. And like you said, Kat, her parents weren't affirming. Abel's parents weren't necessarily affirming as well. And that played a big role in really pushing him over the edge, actually. But every child comes back to say, I'm very grateful for my parents who said no. We were just talking early in this interview about cell phones. Like I said, I'm 25. I come around to it. I was so mad when I was 17 years old and my mom was stalking my phone. But gosh, I am so thankful for it now because I don't have some of those issues. I don't have the gender dysphoria. I don't have the body dysphoria because my mom said, absolutely not. We are not giving you those things. There's no need for those things. And you know, of course your child is mad at you at the time, but gosh, they come around. I know we've come around. I know cats come around. I know Abel's come around. Chloe, I know I'm sure you could speak to it. How thankful you would have been if someone would have said no to you. And that's why we say no to affirmation right off the bat. Um, so I agree. I'm with you, Megan. Just parents should continue saying no. The kids will come back. You have to be the parent. You ha- it, sometimes it's tough. And Abel's story, it's not like he transitioned just because his parents said, no, you're a boy. Like, there's a whole story right. in the documentary about the dad taking him to a prostitute. And it's like, bad, bad. Mm. OK, this is this is not yeah. the way. Um, but you can you can not affirm in a loving way too. Uh, Dr. Sachs called it watchful waiting, um, mm-hmm. watchful waiting nine times out of 10. It's going to in order to the benefit of the parents and the child. Right. It's going to work out the way it ought to. 
-hmm. But Chloe, you talked about how, so you wind up going on the cross gender hormones and then how soon, how, like, how old were you when you got your double mastectomy? I was 15. It happened just after my sophomore year ended. I mean, sitting here now, can you believe that there was a doctor who willingly performed that on you at age 15? No, frankly, I mean, even as somebody went through it, it's just, I just can't believe the point we've gone to. Right. Neither can I. It's, it's so obviously wrong. And there's a very moving clip. Forgive me. I know I have you here, but I want to play the clip in the, in the, from the film where you talk about sitting in a psychology class and realizing what you'd done to yourself. This is SOT 3. They grafted my nipples and there's been like some, some pretty serious um, complications arising from that. So I started taking a class on psychology and child development. And um, I had a lesson about um, maternal bonding and um, that was the first time that I really thought about being a parent and what that might look like for me. And there was kind of a big emphasis on breastfeeding, not only as the means of feeding your child, but it's also one of the ways that mothers bond with their children. And after finding this out, I felt like a monster. I felt like I took something away from my future children and that I would I knew I would never be able to get that back. And it just, it shook me. My God, you poor thing. It, this should not have happened to you. I mean, what was it from that point forward, the detransitioning or what, what made you resolve? I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, that was the biggest thing that eventually led to me detransitioning. Um, about a few weeks later, I just... I decided I couldn't, I couldn't keep doing this. And I stopped doing the testosterone shots. I started putting away all my boy clothes and growing out my hair. I couldn't I, do anything. I heard you use the word ashamed, that you felt ashamed when you wanted to go back to your biological sex. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that started before, before I started detransitioning, actually, um, after I got the surgery. Um, I realized that I wanted to dress like a girl again and present femininely and that I didn't like the way that testosterone made me look or sound. I had a very deep voice. It was a lot deeper than it is now. And I hated it. I hated all of it. It was really hard for me to really pinpoint where the issue was because I thought for so long that transition was benefiting me. And now everybody knew me as Leo. They knew me as their son, their brother. They all knew me as, everybody knew me as a boy now, and I didn't think there was any way of going back. Mm. And I would, I would wear some of my old girl clothes in private and sometimes buy makeup from the drugstore. And I would, I would, I would wear, I would wear all that in private. And I started to resent myself for it. I was really ashamed of myself. It was, it was shameful to admit that I was wrong. Wow. To, to the point that Chrissy raised earlier, after the double mastectomy, which is not a small surgery, they dismiss it as, oh, just top surgery, like it's a nothing. It's not nothing. You started to have some complications. And 
were the doctors who were so supportive of your transition there for you the way they were prior to the surgery? No, um, the complications that I'm facing now started to pop up about two years after the surgery, actually. Um, last year, I, I reached out to my surgeon to report that not only that I had regretted my mastectomy, but also that I was having complications from it a few years after. And I had to wear, I have to wear bandages over my chest every day because of it. And my surgeon, I mean, all I could really get with him was about a five minute call, no resume. And the whole time it felt like he was being very dismissive, disrespectful even. And his advice was just, yeah, just keep covering it with bandages and put some Vaseline over it. And mm -hmm. it didn't make sense to me. It was like, I don't see why I need to do that, but maybe it might help. But when I did it, it actually gave me a skin infection. And that was the last time I trusted anybody on the team that helped me to transition. I know now you've retained Harmeet Dillon. We love her uh, to help you in a, in a legal battle against these doctors. Is it is it yes. all of them the, the surgeon, the person who affirmed that like they're all going to be challenged now on this quick draw affirmation of a of a minor yes the Good. surgeon the gender specialist who referred me to the surgeon and the, the endocrinologist who put me on hormones as well as the hospital that i got surgery at and kaiser my healthcare provider as a whole good and what are you trying to prove with the lawsuit what do you what do you what's satisfaction to you there i want to get justice for what happened to me and i want to scare off other doctors from doing this to children and to create a precedent for other kids and other young people and just other people in general who are going through the same thing to be able to do the same for themselves. Mm -hmm. Chrissy, this is so necessary because, I mean, look what California is doing now, as you have some states here mm -hmm. looking more at like those Nordic countries that are slowing this down. And you, you got states like Texas or Georgia saying, well, you know what, we might want to pause too. This is getting a little aggressive with our children. And you got California being like, we'll be the sanctuary. Send all of your kids here. We'll do all of the gender uh, surgeries here. I mean, the only way to stop this is, is through lawsuits, through the law. Absolutely. I mean, that's I live in Nashville. We underwent all of that with the Vanderbilt Clinic as well. It needs to be stopped. Um, and that is really the only way that goes about it. But, you know, Megan, I was just reading a really great article over the weekend about how it's really not just doctors that are pushing this or the hormone uh, you know, organizations, Big Pharma, that are pushing this as well. There are the Association for, I believe it's uh, Plastic Surgeons, uh, ASPC, uh, they are actively pushing right now to lobby against all these bans that stop transgender minors from getting surgeries because they want the money. And time and time again, these transgender activists, it goes back to my original point I made earlier, that these transgender activists, they should be saying, no, we, you know, we want these surgeries to be done for people in a healthy, safe way. But the plastic surgeons are just looking to make money at these hospitals and they're profiting off of young kids who are entrusting mm -hmm. them with their health. And then when something goes wrong, like what happened with Chloe, they're nowhere to be found. That was on the Vanderbilt tapes that Matt Walsh got his hands on, where yeah. the, the head of the program was saying. You know how much money we make off this? This is great. Like yeah. she was talking about not the, the tender ages that they were doing these surgeries on, but how much money it would add to Vanderbilt's bottom line. And then publicly they deny they deny that they do that, that they that they're worried about money or that usually they say they don't operate on minors. 
Right. Well, that's what Mount Sinai says. They said they don't operate on minors. And then we got Dr. Safer on tape saying he's done it on 17 year olds. That's a minor. So, Chloe, what happened like with your parents? Were they relieved that you wanted to go back to your biological sex? Or were they, you know, how did that go? Um, I mean, they felt a lot of guilt because they, mm-hmm. they feel like they played a large role in this. I mean, obviously they had, they had to sign off on all this and they personally, I don't blame them one bit because they, they too were lied to and their hand was forced in this. They were told that I was going to kill myself. It's so hard for parents being told by all the authorities that this is the right move. What do you, what do you think today? You know, there's a big debate. Um, Should we use people's pronouns? Even the other night I mentioned that online pornography seminar that I went to via Zoom for our school. And they're talking about kids, and boys and girls, and they're talking about, well, cis boys and girls are this. And, you know, and I was like, you know, 99% of all boys and girls out there are cis, meaning their gender identity aligns with their biological sex. You don't need to say cis. You don't need stop it. Stop throwing it out there at every turn. Like gender is just this thing. You can, you know, it's rant, like, just stop it. It bothers me. I have to say, although I will say somebody's pronoun of choice unless it's they, which I just that one's taken. It's too confusing. But where do you where do you land on that, Chloe, and the pronoun thing? Um, I mean, personally, I will use somebody's preferred pronouns as long as they don't they're not disrespectful, like they're they get they treat me the way that that they want to be treated. Um, as for how I feel about this whole thing. I don't believe in a trans child, but really, I don't believe in a lot of people use the phrase real transgender to, to describe people who experience dysphoria. I don't really believe in that, but I mean, I know that dysphoria is a very real thing, but I don't think that, I think that if, if an adult is fully informed, they should be able to make the choice to transition if nothing else has worked. But I don't think children should be allowed to do this at all. Yeah. It is never appropriate for kids. And Chrissy, how many detransitioners do you think are out there? Well, we have a Reddit group that has 46,000 people. And I can only imagine that that's just a half maybe of the population. Uh, Walt, who is again, one of our subjects has a organization called sexchangeregret.com. And he says he is constantly bombarded with individuals who are regretting in the process of regretting in the process of detransitioning. They are constantly coming to him his inbox is flooded. Um, and he has to you know, work slowly to help every individual who goes through this. It's unknown. And the sad part is, it's just like with COVID and America refusing to do any studies on this. The US and Big Pharma here refuses to do any studies on this yep. issue, on detransitioning, on the effects of cross-sex hormones, et cetera. We know very little. Yeah. And we thanks to you, we know a little bit more. But I know Chloe's now formed a group helping kids who are going through this. Good for you, Chloe. Good luck on your lawsuit. And Chrissy, Thanks so much for helping to shine a light. You can watch Damaged, the trans of America's kids on The Daily Caller this Wednesday. Go to dailycaller.com to check it out. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow when our friends from the fifth column join us with a preview of the State of the Union. Hey, before we go, happy birthday, Cardinal Dolan. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Superdeck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. 
psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.